weeks ago, uh, saying that there are seven typical I am statements in John's gospel. We've looked at two of them already. I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world. And I said that I'm including two additional ones, two sort of bonus passages. And I uh, issued a challenge to see if anybody could guess what those two were. I'm uh, blown away by the number of people who've responded to that challenge. And a, a select few of you have actually landed on uh, the, the least uh, so six of them that I would have accepted. And if you get any of those six... Um, you get the special reward that I have promised, which now I have to go and get because I didn't think anybody was going to get it right. So um, anyway, uh, this morning we come to one of those bonus passages, John chapter 8. Let me just set this up just a little bit because uh, I'm not going to talk about this in the message, but uh, John uses that, that, those words, I am, 86 times in his gospel. Most of those are just regular usage, like I am doing this, or I'm going there, whatever it might be. But a number of those times, it's in, it clearly has special significance, and he uses a unique and rare Greek construction, um, which I won't get into the details of it now. But So all of the I am statements, the, the big metaphors, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, they all use that Greek construction. Outside of that, there are six other passages that uses that same construction, and uh, one of them is here in John 8, verse 58. Uh, we saw it, we will, aren't looking at it this morning, but it's also in John 8, verse 24 and 28. Another big one is in John 13, verse 19, and uh, John 4, verse 26, um, John 18, verses 5 and 6. So those are a few of the other uh, bonus, and I would have accepted any of those as the bonus passages, but this is a, the big one this morning, John 8, verse 58. So with that, if you would... Uh, join me in prayer as, as we ask for the Spirit's anointing on His Word this morning. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we continue to worship You, it's our desire, O Lord, to be drawn not only into a deeper understanding of Your name, but Lord, to let it so touch our lives and change and transform us that we leave here different than when we came, that we are drawn into a deeper trust and a deeper sense of awe and worship, along with a deeper understanding. And so I pray, O oh Lord, for your Holy Spirit to do that work in us as we study these words of Jesus in, the, in, in John chapter 8. Lord, may we hear and understand them correctly. May we be moved and changed by them. And may we, above all, O oh Lord, come to know you a little more deeply. And may it produce within us a deep and abiding trust in you. We boldly ask that you do this work, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, through your sacred and holy word, in Jesus' name, who we pray. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning from John chapter 8, verses 48 to 59. This continues, uh, this is uh, continuing the discourse that Jesus began uh, in John 8, verse 12, which we looked at last week. And uh, so it's in the same context of the festival of tabernacles that Jesus is still teaching and speaking. And he's been having a sort of an argument, kind of going back and forth with the Jews that were there. 
And so we pick it up in verse 48. The Jews answered him, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this they exclaimed, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? And then the focus of the message is on these next two verses. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. At this they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You may be seated. In the, uh, the last Star Wars movie called The Rise of Skywalker, Rey struggles with her identity. She finds out that she is a blood descendant of the evil Palpatine, but she identifies within herself more strongly with the Jedi. And those two, of course, are, are diametrically opposed to each other. And in the end, she draws on the force of the Jedi to destroy Palpatine and save the Empire. And in the final scene of that movie, a, a weary traveler finds Rey on the desolate land of, of Tatooine, and the traveler says to Rey, who are you? And Rey says, I'm Rey. And the traveler says, Rey who? And the question really gets to the heart of her true identity. Who is she? She's been wrestling with that throughout the whole movie, and now it comes to this climax at the end. Who are you really? Ray who? And she considers that question for some time, and then finally with an air of pride and resolve, she says, Ray Skywalker. And that scene in the movie reveals the significance of a name. The name Skywalker reveals her, her true identity, who she really and truly is. The name says that regardless of her bloodline, she is a, a Jedi. And in our text this morning, we see an infinitely greater example of the significance of a name. We see a name that reveals the true identity of Jesus. The revelation of this name takes place in the midst of dispute over who Jesus is. And so, like I mentioned, we saw last week how Jesus revealed himself as the light of the world uh, while teaching in the, the temple courts at, uh, during the Festival of, of Tabernacles, the Festival of Lights. And so he revealed himself as the fullness of glory in, in human flesh. 
while teaching in the temple courts. And now Jesus is still there. He's still teaching in those same temple courts, and he's been engaging in, in dialogue uh, with, with some of the, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people. And the more he teaches, the more divisive his words become. And many of the Jews grow increasingly hostile in their rejection of him. And, and he says to them at one point, You belong to your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. He is a liar and the father of lies. And so he says, in effect, you don't believe me because I come from the God of truth, and you belong to the devil who's the father of lies. Now, if you want to know a surefire way to rile up a crowd of religious fanatics is to tell them that they don't belong to the God they claim to know and worship and have known and worshiped for years and years and generations upon generations. And the crowd responds by throwing at Jesus two of the deepest insults they can think of. They call him demon-possessed and a Samaritan. And Jesus responds, with words that rile them up even more, he says, Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And this only makes the crowd all the more convinced that he is, in fact, a raving lunatic. And so they say to him, Now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Abraham, whom they exalt and lift up as one of the, the greatest figures. And yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? I see, that's the question, isn't it? Who are you? Or as a, a more accurate translation is, who do you claim, who do you make yourself out to be? Or as one translation says, who do you pretend to be? Who do you think you are that you dare to say such things? And it's in response to this question that Jesus reveals his true identity. Jesus reveals his identity by ascribing to himself a name of utmost significance. Picking up on their reference to Abraham, Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, and that, that expression, very truly, again, is, is an indicator, a signal that what I'm about to say is of profound significance. You better pay attention to this. Very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if Jesus had wanted to convey nothing more than his pre-existence, which in itself would have been an amazing thing to claim, he would have said, before Abraham was born, I was. And that's not what he said. He said, instead, before Abraham was born, I am. And with these words, as I've mentioned before, in fact, preached on only, I think, a few weeks or months ago, but with these words, Jesus is ascribing to himself the very name of God as revealed to Moses from the burning bush. You remember the scene, don't you? We read about it in Exodus chapter 3, how, how Moses had, had kind of retreated to the land of Midian where he was, uh, became a shepherd after fleeing from Egypt, uh, you know, running for his life, feeling threatened and in danger there. Went to the land of Midian, becomes a shepherd, and he's taking care of his father-in-law's sheep in this remote area of, of, uh, of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And it was there that Moses saw a really strange sight. He saw a bush that was on fire, but the bush itself did not burn up. And so he looked at it, 
And it's obviously, as it would be for anybody, a really intriguing thing and a, and a thing that he's really curious about. And so he goes over to, to see this curious sight. And when he went to take a closer look, God himself called to him from within the bush. And so he realizes that this fire was a visible manifestation of the very presence of God who had appeared to him out in the wilderness in the, in this, in the midst of this bush that did not burn up. And God called to him from within that bush. And God said to him, I have heard the cry of my people in Egypt, and I'm sending you to bring them out. And then we read that Moses said to God in Exodus 3, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Or as I personally think a little better translation, I am the one who is. I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So the name that God ascribes to himself, the name that he revealed to Moses from the burning bush is the name I am. Now, we'll say a little bit more in a minute about what that name means and why it's significant, but but for now, the important thing is that when Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am, he is very clearly alluding to this encounter between Moses and God in the burning bush. And the language that he uses makes that allusion without doubt, it makes it all the clearer. So he is ascribing to himself the very name of God. The Jews had asked him, who do you think you are? And Jesus says, I am the I am. I am the very God that you claim to know and worship, but you really don't know and worship. I am the only true God, the God who revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush. That's who I am. And there's no question that the Jews knew exactly what Jesus was claiming because listen to how they respond. John says, at this they picked up stones to stone him. They knew that he was ascribing to himself the very name of God, that he was claiming to be God himself. And so they picked up stones to stone him to death, which is the, 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 right, uh, the, the, uh, the penalty uh, for blasphemy according to Jewish law. When Jesus declares, I am, there are only two possible responses. You reach for a rock or you fall at his feet in worship. The Jews reached for rocks. But as John says, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. And I think it's not just a throwaway statement. There are no throwaway statements in Scripture, by the way. But I think this is a statement that's loaded with significance. It's significant, I think, that John records how Jesus slipped away from the temple grounds. Remember how uh, uh, from, uh, under the old covenant, how the Shekinah glory of God left the temple as a sign of judgment against the unbelief of his people. What do you think is happening here? The fullness of God's glory in the person of Jesus, which he has just made clear in his teaching about himself as the light of the world in the fest- at the festival of tabernacles, the fullness of God's glory dwelling in him. And there he is in the temple courts. And now the fullness of God's glory in Jesus departs from the temple grounds. 
as a sign of judgment against those who have rejected him. And they will, he will go in the next chapter to a blind man, to the people. Now let me just say one last thing before we move on to the next, uh, next point here, and that is that I, I think that all of the I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel contain a veiled reference to the sacred name of God. Again, because of the, the unusual and rare construction that Jesus uses when he says, I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world. I won't get into the details of it now, but it's very clearly a, a, a veiled allusion, a veiled reference to the sacred name of God. But here in John 8, the veil is just lifted. He could not make it any clearer. It is, as R.C. Sproul said, the clearest and most unvarnished declaration of deity in the Gospels. He is ascribing to himself the very name that can only ever be rightly ascribed to the God who revealed himself to Moses from the burning bush. That is what he is doing. Who are you, the Jews say, and Jesus says, I am the I am. Now, that being the case, I think it will be helpful to ponder the meaning and significance of that name. So if this is who Jesus is claiming to be, then we ought to know what the name means and, and what it implies. So as we've seen, the name is derived from God's words to Moses. So let's just take you back there real quickly again. When uh, God said to Moses, I am who I am, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. So the words I am come from the Hebrew verb ha, which is the verb of existence. It means simply to be. It's, it's a very common word. It's used, uh, I think, uh, well, thousands, you know, several thousand times throughout the Old Testament. Standing alone, the name I am conveys the concept of absolute being. So God is, in that statement, what he's saying, that God is the one who eternally is, the only being who is completely self-defining and self-sufficient and self-sustaining. He is the eternally self-existent one, the one who needs no other, the one who just eternally in and of himself is the very ground and source of all existence. The meaning of the name is given a little fuller uh, expression in Revelation 1 uh, verse 8 where God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first letter of the Greek alphabet is Alpha. The last letter of the Greek alphabet is Omega. So I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end and everything in between. The one who was and who is and who is to come. In other words, the entire scope of existence is found and met in me. So that is the meaning and significance of the name I am. It conveys the reality that God is the eternally self-sufficient, self-sustaining, self-existent one. Now, the name Yahweh is derived from that same Hebrew verb hayah and is really a synonym for I am. And it gets a little bit, so I'm trying to make this as simple as I can. Hopefully you don't get lost along the way. So the name Yahweh is really a synonym of I am derived from the same Hebrew verb Hayah. In fact, in Exodus 3, this, become, this is made very clear uh, where the name I am in verse 14 becomes the name Yahweh in verse 15. So let me show that to you so you can see for yourself. God says in verse 14, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am, derived from the Hebrew verb hayah, I am has sent me to you. And then God says in verse 15, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, 
derived from the same Hebrew verb, Yahweh, uh, Hayah, just now taking a different form. Yahweh has sent me to you. And so I say that to show that when we speak of Yahweh, which is the name of God, the personal name of God, the covenant name of God, we are speaking of the great I am. They are one and the same. It is the name of God as revealed in the burning bush. And I, I, I make that point because I want to transition for a moment into uh, something that I think is, uh, that I found profoundly significant and I want to share it with you. And that is that there are nine places in the Old Testament where this name of God, Yahweh, which is the same as I am, is given a, a sort of a specific and a concrete modifier to, to sort of round out or to give a, a more full expression of who he is in his divine nature. So let me share them with you, these nine sort of elaborations, these nine specific and concrete modifiers of who I am, who Yahweh is. In Genesis 22, verse 14, he is is revealed as Yahweh Yireh. The Englishized version of that is Jehovah Jireh, but really it's Yahweh Yireh, the one who provides. In Exodus 15, verse 26, he's revealed as Yahweh Rophe, the one who heals. In Exodus 17, verse 15, he's revealed as Yahweh Nisi, the one who is our banner, the one who is our protection. In Leviticus 20, verse 8, he is revealed as Yahweh Makadesh, the one who sanctifies. In Judges 6, verse 24, he's revealed as Yahweh Shalom, the one who is peace. In Psalm 23, verse 1, he's revealed as Yahweh Rohi, the one who is our shepherd. In Psalm 46, verse 7, he's revealed as Yahweh Sabaoth, the one who is almighty, or the, the Lord of heavenly hosts, the commander of armies. In Jeremiah 23, verse 6, he's revealed as Yahweh Tzagetnu, the one who is our righteousness. And in Ezekiel 48, verse 35, he's revealed as Yahweh Shammah, the one who is there, meaning the one who is eternally present among his people. So why do I share that? Well, when Jesus says, I am, he's revealing himself as the embodiment of all of these things. And this isn't the only way to express what the name Yahweh means, what I am means, or what Jesus means when he says I am. But it's, it's one way to get at the, the little, to probe a little deeper into what he is really meaning and what he is uh, in, suggesting and implying and what is wrapped up into that name I am. When Jesus says I am, he's revealing himself as the embodiment of all of these things. He is Yahweh Yaira, the one who provides all that we need. For as Paul said, my God will meet all of your needs according to what? According to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And he is Yahweh Rofi, the great healer. When John questioned from prison whether or not Jesus was the long-expected Messiah, the one who was to come, Jesus pointed to all of his miraculous works of healing. And he said to send back to John this message, that the blind receive sight and the lame walk and those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. He is Yahweh Nisi the banner who protects us. For as Paul said, the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. 
He is Yahweh Makadesh, the one who sanctifies. For as Paul said, you were sanctified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's Yahweh Shalom, the one who gives us peace. As Paul said, for he himself is our peace. And as Jesus said in the Gospels to his disciples, my uh, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. He's Yahweh Rohi, our shepherd, as Jesus will say in another of his I am statements in John's Gospel, I am the good shepherd. He's Yahweh Sabaoth, the commander of the armies of heaven. John described him in his vision in Revelation 19, saying that with justice he judges and wages war, and the armies of heaven were following him. He's Yahweh Tekenu, the one who is our righteousness. For Paul said of him, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And he is our Yahweh Shama, the God who is present among his people. John said of him, the word became flesh and literally tabernacled among us. And Jesus himself said at the end of Matthew's gospel, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And again, this isn't the only way to, to capture or to get at, well, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am, or who really is Jesus? But this is, this is one of the ways to probe into it a little bit deeper. And all of this only begins to scratch the surface of who Jesus is and what, he, what is meant when he says, I am. He is the very God of glory, the eternally self-existent one, the ground and source of all being, the one in whom all things hold together, as Paul says, and the embodiment of all that Yahweh is in the splendor of his holiness and the various manifestations of his nature. All of that is wrapped up into the, those two little words in Greek, ego eimi, I am. Now, we've seen then what, at least begun to see what a deeply profound and significant claim Jesus was making when he referred to himself as I am. And such an extreme claim demands an extreme response. I was, uh, I had a, I was having a conversation with someone recently, and he got to talking about Jesus, and and uh, he was, he's not a believer, and so he was saying, you know, um, I, I, can, I can get on board with Jesus. I, I you know, I, I appreciate Jesus, and I think he was a great teacher, and so he is a great, you know, he really walked the earth, and he said some really, really great things, and I think it's good to, to follow some of the stuff that he said, and so I, you know, I, I can respect Jesus and everything, but then he went, also went on to say, but I kind of feel the same way, you know, I think Muhammad had a lot of really great things to say, and Confucius had a lot of really great things to say, and, and, and Buddha, and, and the Dalai Lama, and all these, these other things, so, you know, these all, they're all great figures in history. And so for him, he says, Jesus is just sort of one of the many pieces in a puzzle that, that contributes something to this overall picture of divine truth. And the problem with his line of thinking is that the very nature of Jesus' claims leaves no room for that kind of response. He didn't claim to be just one piece of the puzzle. He claimed to be the, the fullness of the only true God. He claimed to be the great I am. And the extreme nature of the claim leaves no room for a middle-of-the-road response, the kind of response that says, yeah, he was a great teacher. I just don't agree with his claim to be God, but he's a great teacher. C.S. Lewis addressed this very issue 
in his book, Mere Christianity, writing about those who are willing to accept Christ as a great teacher, but not willing to accept his claim to be God. And this is what he said, a man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else you'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. And then he goes on to say, so you can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Like I said before, if you rightly understand what Jesus is claiming, you either reach for a rock or you fall at his feet in worship. And by reaching for rocks to stone him, the Jews showed that they rightly understood the extreme nature of his claim. Of course, it was the wrong response, but at least it was a response that showed they understood the weight of what he was saying. The Jesus who is the great I am is not a small Jesus who is content to occupy a small corner of your existence. He is the all-encompassing Jesus, the one who demands to be Lord over all of your life and whose lordship colors every single strand and aspect of your existence. He's Lord over your career and your schoolwork. He's Lord over your health and your money. He's Lord over your friendships and your relationships. He's Lord over your hobbies and your interests. He's Lord over your desires and your ambitions. He's Lord over your home and your family. There is not a single area of your life over which the great I am does not say this falls under my lordship. And there's not a single need in your life that cannot be met by his I amness. If you need provision, he is Yahweh Yaira, your provider. If you need healing, he is Yahweh Rophe, your healer. If you need protection, he is Yahweh Nisi, the banner over you. If you need cleansing from your sin, he is Yahweh Makadesh, the one who sanctifies. And if you need relief from worry and anxiety, he is Yahweh Shalom, the giver of peace. If you need guidance and care, he is Yahweh Rohi, the good shepherd. If you need victory over your enemies, he is Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the commander of armies who conquers for you. If you need freedom from the burden of trying to be good enough to stand before a holy God, he is Yahweh Tzagetnu, the one who clothes you with his righteousness. And if you need the comforting presence and company of someone who has control over all things, then he is Yahweh Shama, the one who is always with you. There is no need, there's not a single need that is not met in the I amness of Jesus. He is our all sufficient Savior and our all sovereign Lord. Charles Spurgeon, in speaking about the I amness of Jesus, said, Sin may abound, the light of the gospel may burn low. 
The prince of darkness may sway his destroying scepter, and the reins of nations may appear to be in the hands of the wicked. But this truth stands certain, that Jesus is the great I am. So lift up your eyes from whatever trouble you're in, and behold him who is the eternal Lord of the universe. And rest secure in the ever-present one who was and who is and who is to come. Let's bow together. O oh Lord Jesus, the great I am. As we come before your throne this morning, O oh Lord, in a time of prayer, I pray that we, you would move us to surrender ourselves to you and to know you more deeply as the great I am, the supreme and sovereign Lord of the universe the one in whom all of our needs are met and the one over whom every aspect of our existence is brought under your Lordship. Oh Lord, hear our silent prayers of surrender and of commitment and of wonder this morning. Lord, the psalmist said that those who know your name trust in you. And I pray, O oh Lord, this morning that through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give us hearts, O oh Lord, that know your name, that know you, O oh Lord, as the great I am, and that in knowing your name, we may trust in you with every fiber of our being. Oh Lord, we worship you as the great I am. And we bring our lives, O oh Lord, under your lordship. And we pray that we go out from this place trusting ever more deeply in you. In your great name we pray, amen.